Hi, this is David Fishoff of the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. You're listening to Modern Musicology Podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. What's up out in the music world, modern musicologists? My name is Alan. Welcome to the Modern Musicology Podcast, and I am joined by my buddies Rob Levy. Yo, what's up? Stephanie Seymour. Hi, everybody. And sadly, our fourth wheel, Anthony Williams, cannot be with us again this week. But we are joined once again by Stephanie's husband, Bob Perry. Hey, everybody. What's up, Bob? Yay. Glad to be here. So Bob is guitarist, songwriter, singer, former member of Winter Hours way back in the 80s. And his uh, most recent album is called A World Like This. And you are working on a music video for uh, the new single, which is Love is Running Over Me. That is correct. That's the title track from, from the album. Yeah. Yes. I love that song. It has a it has a real to me like listening to it. It has a real like mid period Fleetwood Mac sort of Bob Welch kind of vibe to it. Wow, cool! I love, that, I love that makes it. sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that thanks. was co-written by George Usher too, right, honey? That is correct. I was just about to say that. Yeah, yeah. very very cool. All right, so this week our topic is the Beatles, but not as a band. This is the Beatles as solo artists. So we're going to explore four different solo careers and the parallel paths and the divergent paths that they took. So let's start it off by talking about the end of the Beatles. When the last couple of years of the Beatles, we see a lot of different, like, influences and styles coming out of the four members particularly the three main songwriters and you already see solo albums happening george has two solo albums out before the beatles call it quits and it's funny when you watch um the documentary get back oh my god toward we the just end of it, some of that today <laughs> yeah toward the end of it george says something like you know, I only get one or two songs per Beatles album. I've got enough written for like a dozen solo albums. So he was already thinking. He was already yeah. like planning his solo career. He was like stepping out the door. And John and Yoko were really encouraging him in that conversation, which was so sweet. Yeah. So what, what do you think? Um, how do you think that the the four guys are developing individually at the end of the Beatles, what do you think are some of the significant like telltale signs of where these guys are going to be going once the Beatles end? Like you see in Get Back, you know, George is definitely uh, he he is uh, kind of disturbed and, and uh, frustrated by his lack of, uh, you know, uh, input into the band. And he, he has a quote at one point where he said, Something like you know you have to you have to play uh, and work on fifty of Paul McCartney's songs before he'll even listen to one of yours. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so I, I think you were right in saying you know he he uh, he was definitely uh, looking. He, he he says in that interview that he wanted to uh, put all his songs on one record, you know, so that he could hear them all at once and all together and not not have to just have a song here and there on a Beatles record. Uh, you know, so so I think that was that that's something certainly for George. 
Yeah. And, and, and just hearing, you know, if you just listen to something, you know, that, that, that's where he's going. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so interesting because with George particularly, you know, he, he's, he doesn't start out as one of the songwriters. He doesn't start out very much with a, a true musical identity and it sort of develops over time and he starts to contribute more and more. And when you have things like tax man gets, you know, picked mm. to be the opening track of revolver and then something becomes such an enormous hit. I think that he really starts to feel I, I have value. I have something to contribute that I'm not getting to contribute in this situation. Definitely. He knew it and he yeah. wanted an outlet. Yeah. Well, what about the other guys, though? I mean, we, we and I'm thinking particularly of Ringo because, you know, Ringo, I think, is the one who has the least input as far as songwriting and song construction and arrangement and that kind of stuff. Um, what do you think is driving him at this point? I think when you watch Get Back, there's a sublayer going on because the one Beatle you kind of come away from Get Back with a new appreciation of is Ringo. Totally. Um, at, at least for me. <laughs> me right? too. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, which is sad. You know, I, you know, you watch him when you're young, you just kind of, oh, he's the goofy one, right? But I think when you watch him with Harrison, it's very vocal and it's very obvious. Ringo, the body language, tells me that the wheels are turning in his head hmm. um, and that I don't think at that point he's really sure what he wants to do. I think he knows he still wants to play music and he wants to go somewhere. I'm not necessarily sure he wants to necessarily do a solo album or what he wants to do yet, but I think he's got ideas. And I think that whereas the end albums saw you know McCartney and Lennon fracture and we saw... Harrison get more confidence in himself as a musician. I think with Ringo, you see someone that is like kind of ready to step out over the ledge, right? And do his own thing, but he's not quite sure what it's going to be. So I think he's very sort of tentatively thinking about his next steps. I also think he's the one that's the least concerned about it. I think Ringo's kind of, kind of at this, you know, and I've heard him say something kind of like this in interviews. He's like, you know, I had my money, um, and he had, you know, other things. He was mm -hmm. you know, out of the Beatles. He was the Hollywood celebrity, right? He wasn't, yeah. you know, so he had sort of this other pop culture kind of thing going on, right? Yeah. And so I think he kind of didn't necessarily need it as a musician as the other three. Um, that's kind of where I think his head is. Yeah, he's already like launching into his film career. Mm -hmm. He was shooting uh, The Magic Christian around the time that they were going into the studio to do that last album. So he's already he's already got his other projects going. Yeah. You know, though, frankly, uh, Paul had his other his solo career going, too, because yes. he recorded McCartney as, uh, you yes. know, almost in secrecy. They were saying, you know, I, I've read because it, it, uh, John was leaving. Nobody really knew that that was going to happen, but John was going to leave the band. Um, yeah. Paul was recording by himself. And, um, you know, so he had that done. He already had McCartney kind of done. And that's what, in, in, a, in a way, that's kind of why people say that that album is a little bit uh, uneven. And, um, you know, it was, he was recording it by himself, really lo-fi, kind of low Mm -hmm. you know yeah I mean, it's almost like demo quality yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and they were saying like people are you know said maybe i'm amazed is the one song which to me mm. that's that that might be my favorite paul you know solo song mm. um that that sounded really full and finished and i think you know the other thing too is that they all sort of knew it was ending and they were going somewhere yeah. else that's pretty obvious that's the one sort of deal breaker but i also think too that they all it was very important to all of them to leave the Beatles with some remnants of their friendships intact. That seems to be kind of a thing that um, they were trying to do. It seems like it was the hardest for John and Paul. Yes. Um, but I think that there is very much an effort of trying to support each other and trying to like, let's get out of this and then do other things. It's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you have that big test the last week of school and vacation's coming, right? But but that's why it got, it was so sad when, when, yeah. you know, Bob was saying before that it was the press that really was creating and fabricating, you know, one, one jab at the one and then one at the other. And it really yeah. wasn't them, but that drove a wedge between them. And then 
John responded to what he thought was a slight from Paul and Ram with his single. And then it was just this whole back and forth. And that's so sad, I think. Mm -hmm. It is sad to see sort of that tension and that, you know, that that whole situation kind of dissolve right in front of Mm -hmm. your eyes. And, you know, they're they're doing they're in those sessions that we see and get back. And, you know, we all know that George left for a period of time during that. And it's so funny because it, it does it's not a big blow up. It's not a big, you know, drama thing. He just says, well, mm-hmm. I'm out. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> and then doesn't show up again. <laughs> I know. And then they're like, John and Paul are the ones that are like, look, we need him back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but they were at that point really starting to go their own ways. And obviously after the, after Abbey road, they did. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking about Abbey Road, you know, and, and uh, that that almost was a record that maybe not have been made if it wasn't for George Martin really saying, hey, guys, you know, the way we're going to do the next record is we're going to go do it like we we did records in the old days. And, and you know, we're going to go to Abbey Road and we're going to we're going to make a record, you know, proper, proper. <laughs> All right. So, you know, let's talk about the Beatles are broken up. And now they're all on their own and the, the, the real solo careers start. So like I mentioned, George had two albums all, out already, but they were, one was sort of like movie soundtracky kind of thing. And the other one was these like really long, weird electronica kind of uh, experimentation, which I absolutely love both of those albums. I think they're so fresh and so exciting. Um, but then Right out of the gate, he comes out with his first solo album and a, the the first number one hit single that any ex Beatle had. Yes. So, my sweet Lord, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Which what an ex, what an extraordinary that, song. By far, my 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 favorite George song. And also, just a little side note: I was I was watching watching I was watching Hawks <laughs> all fall long, and I I played this. I must have played my sweet Lord. 150 times outside just bird watching because wow. I I was fast I'm still fascinated by that weird little modulation that he does in the beginning of the song and I just wanted mm-hmm. to be able to sing it by myself without even hearing it and cuz it it's not a natural progression I think not in my mind but anyway I I just was obsessed with it um I love it and that's interesting too about that song about how he was sued for over the similarity to he's so fine yeah. Just another great song that does sound like it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it does sound like it. <laughs> yeah. Those, they all said those it was not, not conscious plagiarism, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah. Subconscious plagiarism. Interesting. Yeah. So what are some of the, let's just jump into highlights. Like what is, mm-hmm. you know, when you're, especially when you're talking into the seventies, all of them are very active. All of them are having big hits. And I, let's let's talk about Ringo for just a second, because I think it's important to note, you know, when you think of you think of him as the lesser of the four. But those first six or so years after the Beatles, he had quite a run of success. He had 10 top 40 singles in a row. Eight of those were top 10. Two of them were number ones. Was he was on number one. Yes, it was. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He was on a serious roll. Yeah, And he himself mm-hmm. said the reason that it ended was because he sort of lost his focus. He, he described himself as I, I, I became I wasn't a musician who dabbled in drugs. I was a drug addict who dabbled in music. <laughs> so music took a backseat and he wasn't doing the thing that he had been doing up until that point. I think that's so interesting because you can see that almost sudden drop. Yeah, and I think the thing about Ringo um, is that he created records out of the gate that were instantly more accessible mm. than the rest of them, just to like a broader range. Right. Um, I guess I'll start with sentimental journey, right. Which I, my sort of rediscovery of that record happened in 2001 or I'm sorry. Well, yeah, 2001, I was in Liverpool and it was actually the day George Harrison died where we were, we were in a wow. record store Oh gosh! and they, then they closed it and we're like, what happened? Did, did a beetle die? Is that why everything's closing? And you're like, yeah. <gasps> Oh right. my gosh. So um, then we were driving back to my friend's house and we passed the Empress pub, which is the pub from 
sentimental journey. And I started listening to that uh, when I got back home and I kind of put it away for a while. And then I, I went and revisited it. You know, I revisited it every couple of years, but the thing about that record, right. Is that it, you see Ringo with George Martin, which is huge because it's a comfort level that he's, that he's starting with. And he's picking songs that are close to him, like Sentimental Journey. You can't really not make a cover of Sentimental Journey that isn't musically appealing to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. He's got songs on that record that like, they're basically like, I guess now we'd call them easy listening songs, but they're like pub songs or like dance hall songs. And mm-hmm. you kind of see him reaching back to his sort of like dance hall, school hall youth and playing records that he liked. And at a time when all of them were making very serious records, he's just kind of making this like really light souffle of an album, <laughs> right? Um, that we kind of dismiss as being, oh, it's Ringo. But when you listen to it from start to finish, it's not bad. It's way more cohesive than some of the stuff Lennon would do, you know, in terms of song to song, right? Um, but I think a large part of that is having Harrison around. I was just going to say that. George, George Martin around. But I think the photograph. Oh, well, George Harrison, though, too. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I mean, when you get to the photograph, which Harrison basically crafted that into a number one record for him, right? And also be, before that, it don't come easy, the single, you know? Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think, I think you know, you see Ringo later in 74 with Goodnight Vienna. He's got Elton John. Mm-hmm. He's got Lennon. He's got Billy Preston on it. Yeah. And then he's got a record. Um, um, oh, the, the self-titled Ringo record, which is like uh, 73. That's basically the closest we get to a Beatles reunion record. Because yeah, he's got, he's got all, all the Beatles it. on it, right? Yeah. Which is So, you know, he managed to, I think, keep the relationship with each other Beatle perfectly intact, hmm. which I think helped him musically. That's interesting. I Good think point. he was able, I think he's able to make a record with George Harrison, right? And take it to Paul and say, what do you think? I think he's able to make a, a record with Paul and take it to Lennon and say, what do you think? So I think outside of being the intermedi- intermediary between all the Beatles, I also think he's kind of like the musical axis, right? Mm-hmm. He's kind of like the guy that can go to see the rest of them, sort of feed off of what they're doing and see what they're doing. So his career in the early 70s is just really fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. I think you're completely right, Alan. It's He's doing some really interesting things. Now, he's not taking a ton of risks. He's playing it really safe, right? He has um, the blues, that bluesy album, the second one. Um, yeah. Where it's just kind of, um, you know, like rock and blues kind of stuff, country and mm-hmm. blues. Yeah. But, you know, that's he's going back to what he likes. Yes, uh, that's what I he's, mean. Like He's, he's doing, doing it with his... a... He's doing it with a sense of like unabashed love that the other ones don't necessarily completely do, right? I think he goes back. He goes back to blues in the way that later John would go back to like Little Richard, right? Um, or George would go back to you know some of the other artists he'd like. But he, uh, you know, I think it's sort of just tragic how dismissed those early records are. Those early four or five records he did because um, people's like, oh, he's the drummer, but he doesn't have the strongest voice. Right. Um, but I think what he managed to do, because later, you know, he's making albums with Richard Perry, um, no relation to Bob. Um, <laughs> he's making he's making records with producers that make his voice work with the music. Mm-hmm. And I think that that I think he gave himself over artistically more to his producers than the others did. I think he basically said, look, I know what my yeah. weaknesses are and I'm willing. He was not the control freak he was. And I think that helped him out of the gate. Like you said, when the drugs hit, all bets are off and he's nuts. But he, I am happy to say, though, too, that having listened to the EPs over the last couple of years, he's kind of had a renaissance, which is which is nice. And speaking of, you know, how he was more consistent, huh, I'm going to say, honey, <laughs> you were saying, Bob, you were saying how um, John, for example, was kind of all over the place, right? Well, like Rob uh, alluded to earlier, John, John's uh, catalog, you know, as a solo Beatle uh, is is sporadic, uh, you know, at best. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, there's not a cohesiveness in the albums. There's a there's a standout track here and there, you know, but but on the most part. You know, I'm not a huge fan of John Lennon's uh, solo, uh, most of his solo records. You know, uh, uh, Plastic Ono Band is, is a great record. Uh, I, I love Walls and Bridges, you know, after the Lost Weekend period, sort of at the end of that, where he, he, he gets with Elton John. They have a big hit with that. And Elton John actually brings him, you know, to Madison Square Garden and gets him, you know, kind of back in the limelight a little bit. But yeah, like... Uh, 
John. Uh, it was more hit or miss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, making records with Yoko was not the smartest career move. Well, yep. I mean, I don't think he cared. I know. And, right, I, and yeah. I have to say, you know, in defense I get of Yoko, no, I, I mean, get yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I'm, I just am saying, I don't think like Yoko's. I think she's just she's expressing herself in the way that she does, and they were doing it together, and they obviously enjoyed doing that. And so I find that that was when I look back on it, I, I appreciate it more than I did then. I think, yeah. Um, yeah, but, I, I, but then yeah, at some point he really did start delving into his own songwriting more clearly, and you know, when we're at double fantasy, it's just. That's one of my one of the best yeah. records of all time. I feel like I, I do think that his his half of Double Fantasy is incredible. I think yeah, it's one yeah. of the strongest things he ever did. And I think if you if you had to go out the way he he mm. went out, he went out really strong. And and Milk and Honey was was also strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. You know, but I listened to something like uh, sometime in New York City which is rushed and hurried and just sort of like a mess, right? And I'm like, man, someone get a really, really good string of production dates in a row because you can feel the art is there. You can feel it, right? It's like, you know it's there. It's trying to come out, but it's not coming out. And it's like, you want to bang your head against the wall. Um, And I think Yoko was really good at getting him focused when they were making music. And I think that she had a really good way of making him feel more creatively energized. Rob, but that, I, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Keep but finish I think, your but, point. But I think that at the time that those records were made, people did not understand the dynamic of John and Yoko the way that we do now. And I think that's the benefit of hindsight. And you can see it. I have to say, and this is something that I first said when I saw Get Back, the documentary, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think she was doing anything crazy or yeah. weird. She was she was completely supportive and helping him. And I think that the band knew it too because she was kind mm-hmm. of keeping him together mm-hmm. and in, on in track. The, yeah. And in the same way that the the, the media fueled the the Paul yeah. John thing, they they totally threw fire on the Yoko Ono thing. Yes. And it's pure a lot of it's racism, a lot of it's not understanding sexism. her art, some of it's sexism. And it's just, you know. They wanted, I think that near the end, they wanted to tear somebody down. And Lennon was the guy that they, they for some reason, decided they were going to do. Yeah. I started listening to uh, Top 40 music, 73-ish. And so, like I've said before on this show, the Beatles, to me, were four individual guys. I knew who all the Beatles were. I knew the name the Beatles, but they were all, like, the the guys who did Photograph and the no, no song. Really? And, yeah, <laughs> that kind of, yeah, that's where I knew them. I knew them as, as four different solo artists because they were all active in that, in that mid to late seventies period. And they were all cranking out great stuff. But the one that really like I gravitated to was wings. And I, I, as I always say, wings was my Beatles. Mm-hmm. And because by the time I started listening, you're starting to get those uh, those first big wings uh, singles, and then you get Live and Let Die, and then you get the stuff from Venus and Mars, and then you get the stuff from Wings at the Speed of Sound, and he is just on this tear of He's just cranking fire. out amazing stuff. And so I I became a Wings fan completely independently of any knowledge of any real working knowledge of Beatles. That's a good point. I mean, I think I did too, because I heard my mom and my dad play the Beatles a lot. They used to play Mm -hmm. the hits and whatever. But then I, you know, when I was growing up more in the seventies and the eighties like that, you're right. Wings in the early seventies to mid seventies, even the late, like London Hound, London town yeah. with a has with a little luck. I mean, that was you just think huge. of how huge that was. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was really through the whole seventies. What what was a mainstay on the radio? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I would hear. I heard Wings through my my sisters and my brother playing in the house, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like, oh, I knew who Wings were. It's the guy from the Beatles, right? Mm-hmm. And then I just sort of thought, 
he's the guy from the Beatles and the rest of them are just ham and eggers, right? Um, <laughs> ham and eggers. <laughs> well, I mean, I was like, I was like five <laughs> to eight years old. I mean, you know, I mean, um, and then I, I heard, I remember hearing my sweet Lord when I was like nine. And that's when I realized there were other people besides Paul McCartney and the Beatles. I think, you know, I, uh, looking back, at, I want to talk about Imagine because it's the record that everyone mm. loves by Lennon and thinks it's a masterpiece. I went to Catholic school and we had a, like a philosophy of religion class and all the religion teachers were ex-hippies. So they'd always play Imagine at least once during the year and I was like have some kind of phil- philosophical discussion about it, right? And I remember looking at my teacher and I raised my hand. I said, you know, I know you love this song and it's everything to you, but the rest of the record is so much better. Can we listen to that? And man, I thought I was going to get killed, right? Um, because I don't necessarily think Imagine is his strongest single. It's the one that every that and Merry Christmas War is over is kind of what everybody remembers, right? <laughs> right. But I don't think it's the strongest record that he made. On um, that, you mean song that he made on that record? Uh, both. Both. I mean, both. I mean, I, I think that. Yeah. I think Imagine's the one that just sort of reached out and touched so many people. It did, and, sort of, and it grew a life of its own after he died. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But I think that there are other things on the record that are as good. Um, but I also think, too, that, like, there's other records that I think are a little more daring. Let me just, uh, I, before we jump to other records that might be more daring, uh, I think I just want to point out uh, that Generation X has an amazing cover of Give Me Some Truth. Do you guys know that? Oh, yeah. Ooh, hold on. Mm-mm. It's one of my favorite punk cover songs gonna, of all time actually i'm gonna steal that for a thing okay um, yeah billy idol uh who was in yeah, generation x yeah, uh, I, I, oh man that i know who billy idol is well i mean <laughs> some people are a listener might not know exactly who generation generation x, was. x is exactly yeah. <laughs> but check out give me some truth cover it's so rocking it's amazing anyway on to more i know about generation x i listen to hip-hop <laughs> Rob, I, I think you're spot on about, about uh, later, you know, other albums being better than Imagine. Like, you know, Plastic Ono Band has Mother on it. It's got, uh, Man. you know, uh, Working, class, working hero. class Hero. Those uh, are my two. You know, yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a great album, you know, start to finish. It's one of the, the few probably that are, are listenable all every track, right? And I think the other thing, too, about, well, that record in particular, but... Lennon, more than the rest of them, is the most willing to speak his mind about anything that's on his mind. Like he just mm-hmm. didn't give a care. And I and that's what I think I love. I mean, as much as we talk about Ringo made records that were really accessible, Harrison was really pushing the envelope. Paul was making stuff that the everyman could love and really doing music that he was passionate about. Um, Lennon was the one that was really pushing all the social consciousness buttons. Mm-hmm. But sure. I also think he was the one that probably was feeding Whereas Ringo is feeding off of artists that are in the past a little bit with Billy Preston and, and, and using George Martin and things like that. Lennon is really paying attention to his contemporaries and feeding off of that. And how can I, how can I use that music to fuel what I want to do next, right? He's doing it with art, visual art, and he's also doing it with his music, which I think is really fascinating. But I also think that Yoko, by, by, by Yoko having the channels for John to different people in the art world and in intellectual circles i think lennon's open to like a broader band of like ideas to write songs about than the rest of them may be just by the stuff he's soaking up outside of his life in the studio and i think that that's bob was had a good point about george harrison but harrison comes a little later though with that yeah, with Bangladesh and, and yeah. you know, but and, and George did it in a in a different way. He wasn't yeah. as in your face about it as John Lennon. He was more sensitive about it. You know, his his uh whole thing with the Krishnas and, and uh Ravi Shankar, you know, and, and all mm-hmm. of that stuff was was you know, it, it came from a I think a, a deeper spiritual place uh for him than, as opposed to John Lennon. Um yeah. I, I think until you get to which tour was it? Was it the Dark Horse tour? I think it was where um, Ravi Shankar opens and then he has some other guest stars and people were like, he's not in good voice. There was too much Ravi Shankar and George spent too much of the concert proselytizing, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that he does get heavy handed at times. I think that he, 
and it's all like it's not necessarily um the social you know woes that john is speaking out against but it's 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 spiritual concerns and i think that he gets so passionate about that that it sort of overflows from him but so many good songs came out of it didn't they (laughs) absolutely and he lived his life like again honey you were saying in the book that basically that you could you said he he probably could have given everything up just for that yeah george didn't really care too much it seems uh about you know being a musician or especially being an ex-Beatle, he, yeah. he, he was more into, you know, the spirituality that, that he found. And, and in every, inter- like I, in this interview book that I just read, uh, you know, he, he is consistent in, in always speaking about Ravi Shankar, always talking about in every interview from the early seventies all the way up until, the, you know, when he died, uh, that that's what mattered to him, uh, more than yeah. anything. Yeah. I think it's interesting when you get all the way up to um, cloud nine Mm -hmm. and he does the song when we was fab. It's such a rare thing for him to, you don't see him as the one who looks back and embraces that Beatles period. Like the happy nostalgia, right? Mm -hmm, right, Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I think that's such such an interesting and unique song for him. Yeah. And I, not to completely blow this into a completely different dimension, I think the stuff that Harrison brought to the Traveling Wilburys yeah. also freed him as an artist in mm-hmm. terms of like, hey, yeah. I'm working with other people again in a working dynamic of working with other musicians. This is cool. And I think after that, he just really felt, um, I mean, you listen to his solo records after the Wilburys, and he, he sounds like a man unburdened, right? Mm. Um, I think it gave him a little more uh, juice as a songwriter, but I also think it gave him a little more energy to control all aspects of his records in terms of, you know, production. And, you know, he was really heavy handed in the marketing and um, how they, how they picked singles and how it went to radio and things. Right. He had a huge fight about, uh, got my mind stuck on, you know, whatever. That got one. my mind set got on you. Set. I always think of the weird Al version right away when I, and I just, <laughs> but um, that was the label did not want that to be a single. And he's like, we live in an age of MTV. That's the single. Right. Oh. That song too, that to me, I thought that was a Wilbury song. I mean, I think yeah. that he was, you know, writing like that anyway, you know. And I think that's that Jeff Lynn influence. Yeah. Jeff Lynn was involved in both projects. And I yeah. think that he like puts that rubber stamp of his style on both of those things very firmly. So he's in the producer chair in addition to being like co-writer mm-hmm. and musician and stuff. And I think that that Jeff Lynn template really sits heavily on both of those things Mm -hmm. and not in a bad way and certainly there are other um those other like those kind of um collaborations too because mccartney did the album with elvis costello flowers in the dirt which was you know produced and and at least partly co-written with costello and i think that that's it, it was such a great collaboration and it brought new sounds to mccartney's you know, output. I, I, I think it's a great album. It's one of my favorite mm-hmm. um, Paul solo albums. Yeah. In terms of just Paul for a second, I, I really, there's so much to say about his, his solo career. And it's almost <laughs> like there's where so he, much content. Now. <laughs> there's so, there, there, there really is. Cause I mean, when I was, when I was thinking about we're doing this show, I was like, well, I'm just going to be on Paul the whole time. But actually, I, cause you could spend, like easily and days on paul but then we were playing honey my brave face today right we we're yep. and I that it. i was thinking because well isn't is maybe i'm amazed my favorite because that my brave <laughs> face song is so great and so yeah. even so even into the late 80s i mean i'm not i don't love all of his stuff and i again i i don't think all of it's as consistent maybe as you know i don't know i don't know i don't think he's a s- super consistent record by record but there are hits from the 70s you know until the present so you can't you can't fault that guy (laughs) yeah and i you know even his records that aren't regarded as hits Mm -hmm. are in upon retrospect his musical i i listened to his musical record this week um just to kind of go back to see you know give my regards to broad street and sort of like listen to it for the first time like 20 years and it's not Mm -hmm. perfect but i see what he's trying to do right Mm -hmm. and i listened to cccp again which i don't think i've listened to for like 30 years Mm -hmm. right 
And there's there's something about McCartney, with the exception of Wings, which you can always listen to, right? But there's something about when you listen to his records that you hadn't visited in a while that aren't hits, you sort of discover him in a new way when you listen to him that you don't do with the rest of the Beatles. It may be because of just the sheer volume of it, but um, I would, if you're when, when you're listening to this, try to find some time this week to uh, McCartney album that you hadn't listened to in a while or ever. And listen to it because some mm-hmm. of it now it's patchy. The problem with him is he's patchy as hell in some of these records, um, but that's okay, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, not everybody. I mean, when you make thirty records, you can't. Yeah. You know, not <laughs> everything. I think the thing with Paul is that he's so musical and that he has to, he stretches himself in so many different ways, uh, you know, uh, that, that it's inevitable that, it, that yeah. he ends up that way. He, he yeah. tries mm-hmm. everything, right? Like, yeah. Um, I would say all the way up to 2013, he, uh, the album new, new. I love that album. Oh, that record's really good. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's great. Uh, save us is really good. Queenie. Eye, and my favorite song on the album on my way to work. Oh my God. I think that's just one of the coolest songs he ever wrote. Okay. So I've got a, I've got a question for, for Bob and this is going back to wings. Um, the the, uh, wings over America blew me away. And that was really my first true introduction to Beatles music because there's that whole segment in the middle of the concert where they're playing Beatles songs. But the first time I've ever can remember paying attention to a guitarist tone is Jimmy McCulloch on that live album. And I think that that still stands out as one of my favorite guitar tones I've ever heard. I think it complements the, the band sound. I think it, it, it lays down the solos so gorgeously and it's just this full rich, but bright sound. What do you tell me what you think about that album and Jimmy's sound particularly? Well, uh, I mean, I, I love that whole uh, album. I love the, the the movie of it. You know, I've seen it a million yeah. times. Uh, yeah, and I think you're right. That you know, they, I think he's playing an SG most of the time uh, uh, during that, uh, or maybe Denny is. But but uh, the the performances on that are just so tight, and they're just so tight as a band together yeah. that they've got every they've got every little nuance of those performances down down to the guitar tone, which is you know yeah. they, they're fabulous. It's stellar. Yeah. Uh, I agree 100%. You listen to that live version of Stephanie's, one of Stephanie's favorite songs, Maybe I'm Amazed. Maybe I'm Amazed. Oh. I think that the, that live version is is like a huge, not that the original was bad. I think this is such a, an improvement over it. And a lot of it is because of Jimmy's guitar playing. I'm listening. I'm just, you could, you could hum that solo in your head, you know, yeah. you know without... Uh, Anytime, and and it is the one from the live version. I mean, Paul Paul played a great solo on the the original uh, yes. track, but but it's such a it's opened up so much on that live album, you know that it's really that's to me that's the version of that song. A hundred percent, yeah. Just like the when they released it as a single, you know, later on the live version of coming up is so mm-hmm. much better than the studio <laughs> version. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the studio version it's okay. Lacks a li- it's a little lacking maybe. It's cute. But the, but it's yeah, it's good, but it's not great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cute. I'm going to say on on that wings topic all the way up to their last album um Back to the Egg. I love that album. That is probably my favorite Wings album and no one ever ever says that because yeah, it's usually I don't really know that one that well I it's usually venus and mars that. or it's you know wings at the speed, speed of sound, sound. Yeah. but I, and i love those albums what i love was, all the wings albums but back to the egg is just fantastic what was a single on back to the egg was there a, or was there not really a, oh yeah there was a there was a couple of things um okay. arrow through me is great oh. um the first single was getting closer yeah yeah which oh. you'll you'll recognize if you listen to it um, it might not ring a bell by title, but and and it's just got it's just got an energy to it that you know that the other albums maybe not lacked. I just think that this one built on what they had done before. Now I have something to go and explore. Yes, yes. So, what are some of your other highlights from solo Beatle careers? Favorite songs, favorite albums that we haven't talked about yet. 
One of my favorite songs from All Things Must Pass, I, I got to mm. say, is is the Bob Dylan track, the I'd Have You Anytime. I mean, the the, the, the lyrics mm-hmm. to that song, uh, just unbelievable. And and apparently, uh, like, George learned that directly from Bob. Like, he taught him how to play that song. Mm, it, it's yeah. just a beautiful, beautiful song, as is that whole album. Uh, I, I love Isn't It? Isn't it a pity from that? And actually, yeah. remember, I don't know if you remember this, what we played, we did that song during one of the Beat Goes On shows, honey. Yeah. Do you remember that? It was, we did a Phil Spector show, actually, and uh, that was one of the songs that we, we did. But um, What Is Life Also, that's another song oh, that I think I love is that so song. beautiful I love from that album. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, did you know about that? This was the first rock triple album by a single act that was ever released mm-hmm. oh yeah you know and i was going to mention that too because we're talking about you know george is, has all this material that he's amassed and he's ready to step out the door as soon as he does he releases a triple solo yeah. album and he the is like th- he's just waiting to get this stuff out yeah and the only the only album before that that was a triple album was woodstock live but it was multi-act yeah. so this was yes mm-hmm. yeah that and I and I do want to say that 50th anniversary edition of All mm. Things Must Pass. Yeah. That thing is, <laughs> oh, um, which made me really sort of, that and the documentary that came out a couple of years ago about Harrison really made me sort of solidify that he's my favorite Beatle. Yeah. Um, but I think you know that record's just got so many songs on it that can do so many things for so many people. Like yeah. I love Apple Scruffs, right? Oh yeah. Um. Behind the locked door is great. Um, I remember, you know, we were while while people when we got married, when we were having people come in to sit, they were playing "A Waiting for You All." We used mm. that as sort of the come in and sit down. Mm. So, like, so much of that album um, is great. And like, there'll be days when you just like, I'm just gonna listen to a chunk of it today. And I start with the back because that's the stuff you sort of never get to. And just literally, it's a record that. It's 50 years old, but every time you listen to it, you listen to it with fresh ears. And I don't know how he did it. I mean, I know we talked about Mike Sweet Lord, but there's so much other technical stuff on there. Um, and he's really good at doing quiet to loud at a time when people aren't really doing that. His records, like, they'll either start with silence and build, or they'll just sort of, like, have these really quiet sounds and then build. And not a lot of folks are doing that at that time, which I think is really interesting. Um, I'm also a big fan of uh, Ringo Starr's Good Night Vienna. Um, yeah. I, I love the Billy Preston stuff on it. Um, but I, I just really like that record. I think it's probably his last really good record that he made for a while after that. Mm. Um, I think it's great. I also like Milk and Honey. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I also, you know, the thing that's interesting too is, uh, and again, we're dealing with MTV. I remember the uh, Nobody Told Me video when that was on MTV. Yeah, me too. When they, when they premiered that, and that was like, you know, I, I'd be sitting around with people, and I was like, yep, these are the Beatles, kids. This is what I was telling you about, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, I'm sitting in a room with all these guys with, like, angular haircuts. Like, this is what I was telling you about, right? I mean, guy's a Beatle, you know. Um, you know, um, but, like, you don't think of them stretching into the video generation, but they do. Right. It's really interesting. Well, you also have the image of John and Yoko at the piano and stuff for Imagine and, you know, Mm -hmm. because so they were doing video before video was MTV, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I want to I want to do one. I got um, one of Paul's solo albums, which just had its 40th anniversary, Tug of War. Oh, yeah. That is a really good album. And um, Paul was on the Beatles channel on Sirius XM um, just a month ago um, <clears throat> doing a big interview and talking track by track. And it was such a great interview. And it really made me... Uh, it, it, I haven't really listened to that album in a million years. And it really made me pull that album back out and appreciate it. And the song Tug of War is just fabulous. Um, Take It Away is great. Here today, the song that he wrote about Lennon's passing. And then it's also got um, What's That You're Doing, which is the other song he wrote and sang with Stevie Wonder, mm-hmm. you know, which is, I just think it's such a great, great tune. And I, I really love that album. 
Isn't it funny though that Ebony and Ivory is on that album and that we were discussing on a previous podcast episode that that was one of the greatest misses of all time. How, how, I wasn't going to mention that. Well, you could, well, I think it's interesting because no, you know, it that is. song, it, it's not a, I, I love the melody. I love everything about, there's just the lyrics. I don't know. Well, you could tell it's the first one of the ones they recorded, I think too, because mm. I mean, the second, it's interesting. Sometimes when you have two creative geniuses in a room, it doesn't work the first time they do something together, but the second it does, right? Because they figured it, they figured it all out. And you know, like when you listen to his Fireman records, you could tell that there's a guy who's trying to reach in there and figure something out. I love the Fireman records. I think those are fantastic, and they're completely different. I think to the other thing about McCartney that's really interesting is that he started his own music school in Liverpool. And every and, and Ringo's involved with it as well. And uh, every year since it's opened, no matter where he is, he goes back for the graduation to personally hand the diplomas to all the kids. Oh my goodness! Even when he did his did his stadium tour years ago, like the last stadium tour I think I saw him on, not the like two tours ago. In the middle of that tour, he took a, like a three day break to go back to Liverpool oh. to go do that. So like, I think that. He really gets the idea of building blocks for future musicians. That's so sweet. That's really, really cool. Um, and when you go, I mean, when you go to Liverpool, the thing you will hear from different people and stuff that, you know, knew him, either you knew him growing up or knew his family or something, the big thing that you hear about him is that he's still a regular guy, um, which I'm not sure. I think Harrison's probably at this point still a regular guy to a certain extent, but I'm not sure the rest of the Beatles are, but I think him just sort of being a regular guy making records or at least presenting that in his music really makes you feel um, more understanding of, of, of records of his that he made that you don't necessarily think of as being super great. When we, a couple shows ago, we were talking about when Paul McCartney met Brian Wilson and, mm-hmm. you know, you don't think of Paul McCartney like excited to meet somebody. Right. You just yeah, don't think he's about the it. guy that you're excited yeah, to meet. Like the, right. I think I think his like everyday man kind of thing going on really makes him a fascinating artist because a lot of his records sound like a guy who's making a bar band record. And those aren't necessarily the ones that are made that are hits. And I think that's kind of an interesting aspect of them. I'll, I'll tell you my my I think one of my favorite records uh, by Paul McCartney is is Ram actually and mm-hmm. there are so many great songs on that record and our friends that are in Murderer's Row do a great like tribute of of this that the, it's just a, yes. out of control but uh, <laughs> like not even the like not even though the 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 ones that like really stand out like Uncle Albert or too many people mm-hmm. or anything like that but Heart of the Country what a great song you know like a great little ditty um, yeah. It's it's a great, great, great record. And yeah, agree. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting too when you hear something like "Pipes of Peace," which we don't necessarily think of as like the best McCartney album ever. Mm-hmm. It was huge in Eastern Europe. It's just mm-hmm. it's weird how the records that didn't that we hear that aren't globally great, like they're fantastic in parts of the world you do not expect them yeah. to be. You know, Ram did not do well, like in. Germany and, and Central Europe. It didn't sell, but it did it did better in America than it did in parts of the world and in England for a while. But Ram has sold better after 10 or it 15 def- years after. It definitely did, right? It it had a resurgence and more it became pop more popular after it was released, way yeah. after it was released. Which I think is interesting. I just I'm just yeah. fascinated by you know how McCartney sort of just makes records he wants to make and even the stuff that's bad now, we're look. I'm, I I love listening to records of his that I sort of dismissed. Mm-hmm. So more than the others. Okay, so to wrap this up, I hate to do this, but favorite Beetle. <gasps> favorite Beetle. How can we pick George? Uh, Gun to my head, George. George. Yeah. Volkswagen. <laughs> no, George. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Um can't pick i'm gonna have to say uh in terms of them as a band mm-hmm. i have i will say that i can't pick a favorite but i have a super new appreciation for ringo because of the documentary and how yeah. he did really with his almost like paternal kind of vibe and also his quiet 
darkness and how he just observed everything going around him and then would just play what was needed to be played and made those songs so cohesive and just being himself, that gave me a whole appreciation that I never had for Ringo. So I'll give props to Ringo in that way, but I'm still not picking a favorite Beatle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's cool. I mean, it's not like it's an actual favorite because I love all four of them <laughs> for different reasons. Sure. And it's weird that I that I sort of gravitate toward George, even though Paul was my first love and the one yeah. that I spent the most of my life listening to. But, I, you know, and I love all of them. Well, George has a certain, you know, George can really touch your soul. I think they all can yes. touch your soul with yes. his songs, but he's really can. I huh? just, you yes. know. Agreed. All right. We're going to take a quick break right now. We're going to pimp one of our other podcasts on our network, and we'll be right back in 30 seconds to wrap our show up. Stick around. You know what now is a good time for? It's time for a promo for the Cosmic Pizza Podcast. The Cosmic Pizza Podcast, you say? Mmm, that sounds delicious. What is that? It's a delicious slice of life. In every episode? In every episode, where we talk about conspiracy theories, cartoons of our childhood, Star Trek quizzes, movies that we've liked, pod racing, general pop culture, fantasy recasts. But what we don't talk about is pizzas. Right here on the ESO Network. All right, we are back. So we got a couple of uh, really sad passings that happened this week. Uh, Jeff Beck and Lisa Marie Presley, and I'm going to turn it over to Bob and Steph to kind of uh, talk talk us through these, because uh, I know that they were very important figures in their lives. So, Bob, talk to us a little bit about Jeff Beck. Well, you know, being a guitar player, uh, I, I learned about Jeff from from my guitar teacher when I was about 17 years old, and and uh, I, I went to him with a with a record, the history of Eric Clapton, you know, and I said I want to learn these songs, and and he taught me, you know, to tell the truth or something like that, and then he handed me a Truth record, and he said, Have you ever heard this guy Jeff Beck? And I hadn't, but uh, I took that record home, and I was just floored, and and uh, to this day, uh, I'm amazed at, at the the how Jeff Beck has no equal uh, uh, at all. I mean, the things that the sounds that he makes with his hands and the whammy bar on that Stratocaster, uh, it's just unbelievable. And and I've heard from so many different friends of mine over the past, you know, guitar players over the past couple of days, they all say the same thing that there was, you know, he was, you know, people throw the greatest of all time around, but, but, uh, Jeff Beck certainly was the greatest rock guitarist and he managed to fuse together like jazz and, and rock in a way that was accessible to people. And, you know, he worked with George Martin on blow by blow. And that was the first, you know, the first album really that kind of made me want to explore uh, a fusion uh, a, a little bit more. Uh, so he, he, it really, it really hurt me. And, you know, I, I went down a rabbit hole of just listening to pretty much everything from the early, you know, Yardbird stuff to, <laughs> to, to, uh, we saw Brian Wilson and Jeff Beck at, at, uh, mm. at the Beacon Theater. What a and, show. Oh, it was great. And they did this, they did this mid set thing where Jeff Beck came out with Brian's band and he played all the lead guitar line. Uh, he played all the lead vocal lines on guitar to all, to like a set of beach boy songs with the, you know, just with all the harmonies in the background. It, it was the it hair was on my arms was, was standing up uh, during this stuff. So, uh, you know, I'm sure everyone, you know, knows about Jeff Beck, but, but he really, uh, he was the best and they'll just the, the only thing to really say is that there'll never be another jeff beck you know ever <laughs> yeah that's the truth stephanie what can you tell us about lisa murray uh, well for people who know me you know i i have i don't want to say an obsession but i mean i have a super great admiration for her and also for priscilla and I know it's weird to say, but I feel like I lost like a friend that I never knew or like a little sister that I never knew. It's just a weird feeling that I have. And it's, I'm so, so sad. But, uh, you know, even when I was younger, I was, I sort of gravitated to her and I don't know why, but, um, anyway, I, I know if you see, you know, there's some people that you can look at and they're in a situation where you can, they're in some kind of great privilege 
you know, she had that circumstance in her life. She was born into privilege, but everybody knows that anybody can struggle with, you know, pain and depression and grief. And she was sort of plagued by things her, her whole life. Uh, you know, she was like born into a spotlight that she didn't ask for. Her parents divorced when she was four. Her father died when she was nine. Right there, that can cause a lifetime of problems. But she she was abused by her um, by her mom's boyfriend when she was a teenager. She was a rather rebe rebellious teenager herself. You know, she married four times and went through four high profile divorces and spent time battling drug addiction. Uh, she had four, she has four children, one of whom commit suicide uh, in 2020, which was something horrifically, you know, she just had to deal with that for the last few years. And it's, it, 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 it was, a. I think she had a life of great highs and great lows. And through, through all of that, or through much of it, she made really three solid albums to whom it may concern in 2003 now what in 2005 and storm and grace in 2012 which tr i i really feel like she was an underrated singer songwriter she had a, an amazing kind of lower range bluesy voice and you really could see her mature as a song songwriter from the first album from that single lights out which was a great autobiographical first single to the second album where uh again i think they missed the boat on that single that should have been thanks from that record to the third album, Storm and Grace, uh, which was produced by by T-Bone Burnett. And uh, just to quote all music, they they said that on her first two albums, Lisa Marie Presley wanted to be a pop star with a difference. On Storm and Grace, she clearly would rather be an artist. And I think that's that speaks a lot to her, the growth of her songwriting. Um, so uh, it's just, it's heartbreaking. You know, it's heartbreaking for everyone who's left behind, but I... I know it sounds corny, but like, I really feel like she's probably reunited with her son and her father and her grandparents mm -hmm. on the Presley and Beaulieu sides, both. So I, yeah. it's, you, it's just so, so upsetting. You met her once, right? We met Bob and I did. We went to see her on the Storm and Grace tour. We saw her a few times, but that was the last time we saw her. And we did get to do meet and greet and, and met her. And she was very kind. I was sort of a babbling idiot. Like I just was just uh, like, didn't know what to say, but she was really nice. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It's rather reserved. Yeah. She was, it wasn't really cool to meet her. Well, thank you both for sharing your thoughts and memories about those two. So let's do our shout outs. What have we been listening to reading, watching, consuming this past week? Robbie. Kick us off. I hate starting. Um, <laughs> Too bad. So I, I will say that the week that we're recording this is uh, the weekend of MLK weekend. And, you know, uh, with that in mind, uh, I've been listening this week a lot to Marvin Gaye's What's Going On from 1971. God, it's a record a that the whole, re the whole thing is just painfully, painfully brilliant, right? And, you know, it's a record about Vietnam. It's a record about, like, racism and social injustice. And every single note that those songs are about from 1971 resonates today. Mm. And um, it's just sort of my go-to every, every, every this time of year. And you can always listen to it, and it's fantastic. So, um, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, he's, a he's, good a, he's amazing. So I, I want to I go with that. Also, um, this week in 1990... Um, the Sundays released reading, writing and arithmetic. Oh one of my very favorite records. Wow. Um, yeah. I saw yeah. them five times on that first tour and they were really, amazing. and they were amazing. Um, they, two of the times they ran out of songs. So for their second encore, they did, here's where the story ends again. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad um, at that. <laughs> no, but they were, they, they were great. They're, you know, at a time when everything old is new again, I'm like, okay, kids, where are the Sundays? Let's do mm -hmm. this. Right. Just a fantastic voice in Harriet Wheeler. Just a great band. So yeah. I, I want to talk about that. Um, everything but the girl have a new record coming out. Their first record, I think in like t over 20 years. Whoa. 
Wow. Uh, it's called Fuse. It comes out on April 21st. Wow. Uh, the new single is called Nothing Left to Use. Now, Tracy Thorne has made some solo records. Ben Watts done some stuff, and they've both written books and stuff. And the, all the Tracy Thorne books are fantastic. You should read them. But um, this sounds just like you're walking back into 1994 and listening to everything but the girl again. And I'm very excited to listen to Fuse and see what that brings. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. If you listen to my radio show, you'll hear it because I've been – playing the daylights out of it. Um, also, this week, Don Sebastian released uh, Lake Developers, uh, just a fantastic band. Just, you know, uh, they sort of carried the whole twee banner out of the 80s into now, and they're great. The songwriting, the musicianship, everything about them is just great. And then finally, I'm going to recommend um, another record that's coming out called Breaking the Balls of History. First of all, it's a great title uh, by this band, Quasi had been around for years uh janet weiss who used to be the drummer in uh sleater kinney is in that band and she's an amazing drummer that kind of got a raw deal but her drumming on this record is great everything she does on this record is great because she does some singing parts on it as well but uh, they're just a really durable solid pop band um that can also you know get their hands dirty and they're gonna tour so go see quasi and listen to the record all right bob what you been doing this week well, interesting uh, that you mentioned Marvin Gaye because I have been listening to that a lot. The uh, the 50th anniversary, which is it's, it's fabulous. But uh, I also uh, I started listening uh, to Dan uh, to Donny Hathaway a lot. Uh, I picked up an anthology of, oh, wow. of Donny stuff and someone I had never really uh, listened to much before, and it's just amazing stuff. Really, you know, uh, like a history lesson uh, <laughs> in that kind of thing. Also, uh, as far as new stuff, there's this guy, David Poe, who's got an, uh, a pretty recent album called everybody's got a camera. It, it's, it's really great stuff. Um, I was listening to a lot of Amy Mann this week cause we'd seen her over the holidays <laughs> and, and, you know, obviously was listening to a lot of Beatles solo records this, right. <laughs> this week. Um, right. and that, that's pretty much it, uh, for me. All right, Steph. Well, first of all, I'm going to be a proxy for Anthony and give his, <laughs> his pick of the week, which is Miley Cyrus's new song called flowers. So that's what Anthony wanted us to, to give a shout out to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like Bob. I'm like all of us. I'm sure have been only really listening to the Beatles. But I will say that last night Bob and I went to see Richard Thompson and Teddy Thompson play at oh, cool. Outpost at the Bur- in the Burbs in Montclair. And as always, it was an amazing show. Uh, jo- he was joined on stage by his wife Zara Phillips for some of the songs. Um, and you know, Teddy. Teddy also came out and sung songs with his dad too. But Teddy opened, and then, and uh, you know, obviously Richard was a headliner. But it was it was a great show. So we we had a very fun time. Yeah, it's just it's amazing how much noise and how much sound Richard Thompson can make with an acoustic guitar <laughs> yeah. and his, and his voice. It sounds like a whole band playing. It does. It's, 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 he's got. They should when it, you know they should put his right hand in a museum at some point. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> And what have okay. you been listening to, Alan? Well, it's it, this is kind of a downer, so Uh-oh. I apologize. I had a best friend pass away this week. Oh, uh, it was Alan. my, it was uh, I've known him since high school, and we 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 did everything together, and we were inseparable in high school, and we you know we didn't see each other a lot after he went to college, and I didn't go to college, and then I went to college later, but we stayed in touch, and um, we. I, I went to Florida to visit family uh, last January and then a week or so ago. And both times I was supposed to meet up with him and see him and and we didn't get to. Oh. Uh, he's been dealing with cancer for years. Oh. And so he Sorry, right man. after right after not getting to see him again this oh. time going down, he he passed away. Anyway, we we would we were big sticks fans. And we went to see Sticks together in 1981. And uh, so I've been listening to some Sticks this week just to, you know, Aww. kind of like revisit some of that time that he and I were hanging out together. The other thing is I started another book, and this is by Susan Rogers, who is a producer and engineer most known for her work with Prince. And it's called This Is What It Sounds Like. Uh, what the music you love says about you. And it's an interesting sort of like investigation into why people like what they like. 
And mm. so it's sort of it's sort of psychological. It's like, you know, your personality sort of and your experiences dictate what it is that you gravitate to when you listen to music and how you process that. And I'm only about a third of the way into it, but it's it's really interesting. And I'm I will report again when I finish. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. So that does it for us this week. Uh, join us again next week when our topic is going to be that difficult second album. Bands who came out of the gate with a good, strong debut album, and then the second album comes along, and it's either a masterpiece or it sucks. So we're going to talk about those things. It's going to be fun. All right, so let's find out where people can listen to more of us on the internet. Bob, let us know where you can find out more about you and your recordings. Uh, you can find me at bobperry.bandcamp.com or on any of the streaming services. Uh, look for me there. And your Facebook and your Instagram page. And your YouTube oh, Bob, channel. Bob Perry Music uh, 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 is my Facebook handle, I guess is what you call it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and if, and, and uh, if people look for your YouTube channel, they'll see that new video when it comes out for comes Love out, is Running yeah. Over Me. That's Great correct. song. I don't know what my YouTube channel's called, so I'm sorry. <laughs> just Bob Perry. It is just Probably. Bob Perry. Thank Unfortunately, you. there's a couple of other Bob Perrys, so you kind of have to like look around. So, Steffi? You can find me on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music. You can find me on Instagram at there underscore r underscore birds. And I have a website also, www.thereartbirds.com. Why did I have to say the www part? I don't know. I didn't <laughs> Nobody says to. that anymore. Thereartbirds.com. You can find me at http colon <laughs> slash slash www. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, your URL? Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, God. And then, of course, on all the streaming platforms. <laughs> All right, I'm going to interject on Anthony's behalf and tell you that you can find Anthony, if you're especially if you're a Doctor Who fan, look for his other podcast, which is Watchers in the Fourth Dimension, where he and three American buddies are watching Doctor Who from the beginning in order, and they are up to season 13, which is the second Tom Baker season. And it's not going as well as people think that they would... This is the golden period of Doctor Who. And there are some of the members of the thing that just aren't buying into it as much as you think that they would. So give it a listen. It's a great show. All right, Rob, go ahead. So MySpace. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sorry, Steph. Um, so I just uh, want to say, too, you can find me on uh, the usual socials, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, Insta. But also on post under Rob Levy, just under my name, you can find find me there. Um, also, uh, you can listen to the Weekend Justice podcast with NeatCoffee.com and uh, a radio program I do called Juxtaposition. It's on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 Central. It's streaming online at kdhx.org. Um, so if you have a life uh, or something else you'd rather do or maybe you're baking that night, um, you can listen to it on the archive stream and just check it out. Uh, later and tell your friends. And even if you hate my show, at least listen around because there's a lot of other shows that are just as interesting and lots of different genres. So explore that. And uh, please, while you're out there in the music world, kids, support your local independent and college music radio station. And if you want to find more about me, look for cosmicpress.com, K O Z M I C press.com. And you can find the list of the podcasts that I do and the books that I have written and other books by other authors that I have published. Okay. So we will be back next week. Thank you, Bob, for sitting in with us. We really appreciate it. It was great to hang out with you again. My pleasure. And we'll see everybody in a week. Take care. Have a great week. Keep rocking on and do good in the world. Bye. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network. Your station for all things geek.